Well, it's so hard to believe, isn't it, that it's only been a month since Australia went into level three lockdown. Hasn't it just seemed like the longest month ever? So these memes have been popping up all over the place. Have you seen one like this? So I wonder one month on, how are you coping? How are you coping? Physically, mentally, spiritually? Well, however it is you're doing, um, please, I want you to know that we are here as SWEC to help. There's actually a public link on our website uh, that you can click through from the homepage and it says help through, in through COVID-19, help during COVID-19. Uh, please, you or anyone you know in the community can get help by letting us know through that link. Now, if you have more pressing needs or someone you know has more pressing needs, especially from our church family, then please contact your community group leaders uh, or your pastors and we will rally appropriate care and support for you. But anyway, along with the how are you coping question, I want to begin this talk with another question. And the question is, how is your worldview coping? How is your worldview coping with such a crisis? How is your view of suffering coping? How is your view of God coping? How is your understanding of the why and what when bad things happen? That understanding, how is that coping? Because you see, we all have what's called a worldview. That's a, a lens through which we see the world. And all of our worldviews are especially put to the test when suffering and when tragedy happens. And so I think there are two popular views when it comes to suffering. And the first one is the suffering has no meaning view. It's the view of atheists like uh, Professor Richard Dawkins. That is, if we're products of just time plus matter plus chance, then, in his words, some people are going to get hurt, some people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it or any justice. All right, uh, suffering, according to atheists like Richard Dawkins, is meaningless. There's no use trying to make sense of it. It just happens. Well, the second popular view of suffering is the karma view of suffering. Do you know the karma view? According to this view, suffering has meaning because suffering has reasons. Right? You're suffering because you have done something bad and it's coming back to bite you. Right? That's what karma means. Suffering is punishment. You are paying for your own sins. Now, both views of suffering in different forms are pretty popular. But I reckon both have serious, serious problems with them. And it's times like these that they're really put to the test, aren't they? So I wonder, what view of suffering do you have? And how is your view of suffering coping right now? as the whole world suffers in a way that I suppose none of us could have imagined even months ago. Well, at SWEC, at church, we're starting a new Bible talk series, and it's from the book of 2 Corinthians. And it's really such an appropriate book of the Bible to look at right now, this letter from the hand of the Apostle Paul to the early Christian church in Corinth, which is in ancient Greece. Now, why is it appropriate? Well, because there's so much in this book about suffering. And there's so much in this book about where we can perhaps find comfort, real comfort, in the midst of suffering. 
you might have already noticed it when we read just the first 11 verses of chapter 1, the passage that I'll, we'll be looking at today. As one commentator of that book of 2 Corinthians wrote, Paul, he says, says more about suffering and more about comfort than any other writer in the Bible. And it's here in 2 Corinthians that he says most about it. And so I don't know if you noticed that right at the beginning of our passage, Paul begins with praise. You see that in verse 3? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then right at the end of our passage, he ends with what? Well, with thanksgiving. Verse 11. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. All right, so you've got this passage and it's all about troubles and hardships and suffering. But Paul, the writer, he starts with praise and thanks and ends with praise and thanks. Right, worship is throughout this passage about suffering. Now, how and why is he able to do that? Well, it's because Paul had a robust and proper worldview. Remember, worldview is the lens with which you view the world. Well, he had a view of God, he had a view of himself, and he had a view of our world and of suffering that totally stands the test when the worst of the worst happens. And that's exactly what I need, and I believe what you need at this particular time right now, right? So we'll get into it, but let me pray before we start. Let's pray. Father, as we open up this incredibly deep chapter about both suffering and comfort, I pray right now that you would speak to every single person watching. That'll be your words, not my words. Your comfort, your worldview that comes through. And by your spirit, please apply it to us, all of us, especially in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I have three points. And you can actually see them in the description section of this video, but I'll also put them up on the screen as we go along. So the first point, suffering is real. Paul tells us that suffering is real. Now, why that needs to be said is because lots of worldviews actually minimize the reality of suffering in some way. I mean, they try to cope with suffering by making suffering not as bad as it is or by trying to bypass the intensity of suffering with easy solutions and easy answers. And that totally happens in the popular views I mentioned earlier. Okay, so firstly, the, the suffering is meaningless view. It, it can end up saying, and, and I've heard Dawkins, Richard Dawkins actually say, basically, look, just get over it. Right? Bad stuff happens. We just need to be grateful at how lucky we are to even have lived at all. That's kind of the Dawkins view. The karma view of suffering is especially cruel when it comes to hardship and troubles and suffering. Because at the end of the day, if you suffer, then according to karma, you deserved it. Right? In this current life, or perhaps even in a former life, your bad deeds have basically caught up with you. So suck it up and pay your dues. Now, it's easy to make fun of those views, but there's also a view of suffering that many followers of Jesus hold. That can also minimize the suffering. It goes something like this. If you're suffering, chin up. God is using it for your growth. So stop complaining and learn from it. Romans 8.28 and all that. And, 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 and 
And instead of comforting those who suffer and suffering with those who suffer, it ends up making people who are suffering feel guilty for hurting and struggling because you're supposed to have easy answers in the midst of suffering. Now, Paul in 2 Corinthians would have none of that. He doesn't minimize the intensity of suffering at all. Because did you notice how raw and honest Paul is about his own sufferings? Well, firstly, he uses the word troubles. You see that a few times in this passage in verse 4. Now, that word literally means being under pressure. Right? Imagine those garbage compactors. You know those garbage compactors being crushed from all around. That's what that word troubles means. In other English translations, it's translated as affliction or distress. You get the picture, right? And if that's not enough, he also says in verse 4, all our troubles and any troubles. You notice that all and any? In other words, even though Paul, and we'll see throughout this whole letter, he's experienced lots of suffering, particularly because of his role as a pastor and a missionary and eventually as a martyr. He's going to get killed for the gospel. Well, he's not limiting it to that kind of suffering. Right? Not just persecution suffering, not just being a minister and a, and a gospel worker suffering. Any and every kind of suffering and trouble and hardship is included. Which means it includes the stuff that you and I go through as well. And then in verses 8 to 9, Paul goes into even more detail about his sufferings. I mean, he really holds nothing back, right? Look at, look at that, verse 8. He says that he was under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. An even more literal translation would be, we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. Utterly burdened beyond our strength. The image Paul uses is that of an overloaded ship, all right, that's got so much cargo on it, it rides too low in the water. The burden idea. Or, or imagine a pack animal like a mule that's so weighed down with, with, with a load on its back that it falls. Its feet crumble underneath it and it isn't able to get back up again. That's the idea there. Burden beyond our ability to endure. I wonder, friends, have you f- ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that? And I reckon if you live long enough, I'm sure we all have. Sometimes the weight of anxiety or struggle is so great that you can literally feel the breath being crushed out of you. Have you ever felt like that? I have. That's what Paul means. That's what he went through. And then he goes on to say that he despaired even of life itself. You see that at the end of verse 8? Despaired of life itself. And then verse 9, we felt we received the what? The sentence of death. Now, we don't know exactly what time Paul is describing, but clearly at this time, the burden on, on him was so great, was so crushing, he actually thought he was going to die. He was in a dark, dark tunnel, but he saw no light at the end of it. Now, you've got to know something. That is a big deal coming from the Apostle Paul. Because this guy knew all about suffering, all right? I mean, later on in this whole in this letter, 2 Corinthians, we'll see him describe how much he's actually suffered in the past. And he lists a bunch of things he's, he, that's happened to him. He's been beaten. He's been imprisoned multiple times in chains. He's been whipped to an inch of his death, of, of his life, sorry, many times. He's been shipwrecked. He's been hungry and thirsty and has gone without sleep. And he's experienced it all. So you see, when Paul says, I thought I was going to die, it's not at all like me saying, I thought I was going to die the first time I did a, a Les Mills body pump workout at the gym I joined. 
all right? When I said that, it's because I'm a wuss. I'm like unfit. I wasn't actually the fact that I was going to die. I just felt like that. No, no, no. Paul, he knows what it's like to come within an inch of death. And so if he's despairing of life itself, you know it's real. You know it's bad. Paul, you see, he doesn't minimize suffering, does he? And that's so important for us to really get. Because you see, the Bible's worldview does not minimize suffering. God does not minimize suffering as if it's okay. Just chin up and you'll get Oh no! See, you may have been so depressed, you felt that there's no reason to go on. You may be struggling with such heavy anxiety that you can't even leave the house. You may be so grieved that you can't remember a day without tears. Or you may be in such chronic physical pain that you can't even do simple tasks. See, what, whatever answers to suffering God is going to give from the Bible, and He will give them, He doesn't give them by denying the reality or the pain of suffering. All right, suffering is real. That's my first point. My second point is that suffering is shared. Right? Suffering is shared. And in this chapter, we'll see that comfort comes in the midst of suffering because suffering is shared. There's such an important point. So firstly, suffering is shared by God. Paul opens with, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of... What's the word? Father of compassion. The Father of compassion. That word compassion is what you feel when your heart goes out to someone, when they're in a bad situation. I, I feel that when, I don't know if you've ever seen those Smith family, you know, the charity, Smith family, there, there's ads. Uh, Smith family helps underprivileged kids who can't afford basic things like meals or or going to school and having stationery and, and shoes. And Because I, I always see that. I know it's not the only charity out there. Um, and there are charities about, you know, starving kids in Africa. And of course they move me. But there's something about Smith family that really moves me because I just think about all these things that I took for granted growing up, how privileged I was. And then I look at my own kids, same age kids as some of these kids in these pictures and in these ads. And I think they never had to struggle to get school shoes you know, <laughs> or have recess and lunch. And, and so my heart goes out to them when I see these ads. Now, God the Father feels that kind of feeling, that compassion when we suffer. His heart goes out to us. But more than that, this passage reminds us in verse 5 that suffering is also shared, not just by the Father, but by Jesus, the Son. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus, the Bible says, is the man of sorrows. We sing that too, don't we? Jesus, in Isaiah 53, is who? The suffering servant. And so this goes beyond compassion or pity. This is saying that God Himself, that is God the Son shares our suffering because he himself really suffered. Right? Verse 5, what does Paul say? We share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. See, unlike other religions, the God of the Bible is a God familiar with suffering because he himself suffered. No other religion can say it quite like that because God, the true God, the God of the Bible became a man, didn't he? in the miracle of Christmas. And all through his life as a man, he suffered the pains of being human in a broken, hurting world. And then we just celebrated last uh, a couple weeks ago at Easter, he was crucified and he died the most painful of deaths as he was abandoned by everyone. 
See, no one can ever say that the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is indifferent or unsympathetic or doesn't know what it feels like to suffer. No, he himself suffered. Suffering is shared. Right? Suffering is real, but our suffering is shared by God himself. But you see, more than just shared by God, this passage is also about another kind of sharing. Suffering is also shared, well, with each other. Suffering among the people of God is shared by brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, the church. So verse 7, see verse 7, And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Uh, the word share is translated in, in, in lots of places in the New Testament as fellowship. Fellowship, it's a, it's a bit of a Christian-y word, but if you've ever used the word fellowship, um, just remember that fellowship is more than just a meal after church or board games after today, right? Uh, true fellowship is about sharing in each other's both joy and pain. And so you see there is a Jesus-shaped life, isn't there, that comes with being Jesus' people. There is a Jesus-shaped life that comes with being Jesus' people. Just as Jesus suffered, so his people will also suffer. But you see, we will suffer together, right, as his people, together as his body. Not surprising. He is the head. We are the body. What happens to him happens to all of us corporately. Now, I'll have more to say about that later on. But this idea of sharing and suffering means that something else is also shared. And this is really important. And what's shared is this, comfort. That's the second half of verse 7. Comfort is also shared. And comfort is both shared vertically and horizontally. Just like suffering, remember, is shared vertically between God and us and shared horizontally between me and you. So comfort is also shared vertically from God to us, and then also shared horizontally from us to each other, from me to you and you to me. So verse 3, remember, God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who what? Who comforts us in all our troubles. God shares His comfort with us. He comforts us. Now, When you see that word comfort there, please don't think comfort food. Or in our situation, it's probably more like comfort drink because apparently alcohol sales have gone up like 71% since lockdown. Or or don't just think of the other kinds of things that bring us psychological comfort. Nice as they are. I mean, a warm blanket, it's comforting. A hug is comforting. A cute puppy dog is comforting. Watching K-dramas on Netflix, comforting. No, no, don't think of that because the word comfort there uh, is often translated elsewhere in the New Testament as encouragement. All right, you got that? It's the same word, comfort, encouragement. It's to describe, um, you know, that person who's running along beside you in, in, in something like a marathon and, uh, and they're cheering you on. They're helping you and pulling you up when you're not able to keep going. Right, that's the word there. That's not just a psychological state that some food or alcohol can bring. It's something intensely personal. It's something that actually only another person can bring. Encouragement. And who is that person? Well, the person is firstly God, isn't it? He is the God of all comfort. The God who encourages us or consoles us in our suffering. And how he does that is through the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, Jesus's life, Jesus's death, 
and Jesus' resurrection. You see, that comfort was actually prophesied in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah 40 opens with these words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And it's this chapter, Isaiah 40, is all about the coming of the good news, of the gospel, a prophecy that some 700 years later is fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. And so not surprisingly, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 ties God's comfort with what? With the good news, with the story of Jesus, with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I remember verse 5, we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. And that's why our comfort also abounds through Christ. It's all tied up with Jesus. And then later on in verse 9, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who what? Who raises the dead. When did God raise the dead? Well, he raised the dead when he raised Jesus. So how does comfort come to God's people? It comes through the gospel. It comes through the Jesus story. And finding ourselves in that story, you see. It comes as we die and as we rise with Jesus. God comforts us as that story, that good news is told, as it's believed, and as it's lived out in our daily lives. Now, this is what persecuted church pastors in China shared at a conference earlier this year. One of them said this, and I'll quote, He said, the mark of the church is the cross. If you truly live the life of Christ, you will be persecuted, but you will also have resurrection power. You will have the power to suffer. So friends, I wonder if you know of this comfort. Have you ever experienced the power of God that comes through the gospel? Even as suffering puts you in a deep, dark hole, even as you maybe despair of life itself, do you know of the comfort that comes through dying and rising with Jesus? I've experienced that in recent years. I uh, went through a, a season of ministry and of life where most days I would wake up and find myself spent and empty and in grief. So every morning I would cry out to God, the God who raises the dead. I'd say things like, God, I have nothing left. I have nothing left, God. I only have you. You raised Jesus from the dead. So raise me. Today, experience, let me experience the power of the resurrection because I feel like I'm dying. Now that season went on for about two years and it was really hard. But you know what? I also experienced a power to go on, an encouragement to go on, a comfort to go on in a way that I couldn't have imagined possible. Because in the gospel, God not only shares our suffering, he also shares a supernatural comfort as well in our dying with Jesus and our rising with Jesus. Now that's the vertical, right? Comfort comes vertically, but it also comfort shares is shared horizontally as well, right? God shares his comfort with us, says verse 4, so that what? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. 
And I reckon this is one of the most wonderful and surprising benefits from having gone through really, really tough times. That you unexpectedly find yourself being able to help others in a way that you could not have imagined before going through those tough times. Now, Karen and I, we, when we experienced the pain of infertility, uh, struggling to conceive uh, our first child, when, when all the couples around us in our stage of life were just having babies, <laughs> that was really hard. And, and then after we had Emily, our first child, and we tried to have a second, um, Karen actually had two miscarriages within the, within the space of six months. Right? Like those were really, really, really hard times for us. But through those times, God suddenly and unexpectedly opened up opportunities to comfort and minister to other couples in a way that we couldn't have imagined possible. The comfort we firstly received from God and then secondly received from well other couples who had also gone through infertility and miscarriage. Well, that comfort that came vertically and horizontally to us naturally flowed into others, especially others who've gone through that same situation. And to this day, God continues to use us in that way. And you might have benefited from, from myself or Karen speaking to you if you've gone through infertility or miscarriage. Now, I want you to know that He can do that through you as well. He really can. Those of you who have depression and anxiety, those with you with chronic illness, those of you who've battled cancer or have been support people for those who've gone through cancer or chemo, those who wrestle with the loneliness of singleness, the difficulty of unemployment, financial hardships, those of you with wayward children, rebellious teenagers, those of you with elderly or disabled parents or, or disabled children to care for, those who are married to unbelieving spouses, those of you who've been abused. What has God done for you in your troubles? How has He comforted you? And have you thought about how you can use your experience to encourage and comfort others? Because guess what? You're going to be much more qualified, much more able to help someone who's gone through what you've gone through than I will if I haven't gone through it. Because you see, suffering is supposed to be a shared experience, as is comfort. And so my final point is, my third point, don't suffer alone. Right? Suffering isolates. When you go through hard times, you naturally feel alone. You feel like you're the only one going through it. But not only that, you often choose to continue to suffer alone, right? You, you tell yourself, no one understands me and I don't want to be a burden on others. So I'm just going to have to bear with it myself. So what happens is suffering can make our worlds really, really small. Yeah, suffering can make us self-absorbed. Right? It's not intending. We're not intending to be self-absorbed, but it makes us self-absorbed in some ways, uh, full of self-pity, and our world shrinks really, really small around us. We think that we're alone, and we have to keep going at it alone. Well, today I hope God has changed your perspective, because God wants you to know that you are never, ever alone. And not if He is your Father and you are His. Not if He is your Father because He is the what? The Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. He is able to comfort you in all your troubles. God wants to share in your suffering so that He can also share true comfort with you. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, God wants you to know 
that you can have Him as your God of all comfort, and He can be your Father of compassion. Jesus, who suffered and died for your sins, Jesus, who rose again to guarantee you a new life with Him, He is the only way for you to have a relationship with a God like that. And so today, will you, will you receive Him? Today, will you trust Him? Today, will you follow Him? We would love to help you do that. Please let us know by connecting with us through the link below. Don't suffer alone. Share it with God. But also, share it with others. Did you notice how this passage ends? Right, Paul in verses 10 to 11 says that he is confident that he will be delivered as you, you Corinthians, help us by your prayers. Paul has been open to share his struggles with the people he's writing to because he wants them to what? To, to pray for him and to pray with him. He is confident of the power of prayer. But more than just the power of individual prayer, he's confident of the power of corporate, of shared prayer, prayer together. And so I wonder if you, perhaps in your suffering, have just kept it all to yourself. And so without meaning to, you've actually denied yourself and your brothers and sisters around you the experience of real power and real comfort. The power and comfort that comes when you pray together. Sometimes I think that God delays comforting us in our suffering because we delay in sharing our suffering with those around us so that they can pray with us and pray for us. And he's trying to teach us that we can't do this alone, that we're not supposed to suffer alone. We're not supposed to receive comfort alone or even get answers to prayers when we pray it alone. See, there is a wonderful power and joy that comes from praying together and praying for one another. And that's why Paul is able to end this passage about suffering end the way he began. Remember, he begins with praise and worship and he's going to end with thanksgiving because he looks forward to God answering the prayers of his people as they pray together. And so when the deliverance comes, when the answer to prayer comes, joy and praise and thanks can be multiplied because so many people prayed it. And guess what? God can receive even more glory as more people give thanks and glorify him. And that's why Paul has this really robust view of suffering. Remember, he doesn't minimize the reality of it, but he sees suffering as part of a a larger purpose. Because when suffering naturally would turn us inwards to be self-absorbed and self-pitying, Paul instead turns it outwards in love for others and praise for God. Verse 6, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Without minimizing at all the reality of suffering, God reminds us that suffering has a purpose. Its purpose is both vertical and horizontal. Because both suffering and comfort are supposed to turn us upwards towards God and outwards towards one another. And so I wonder, is that how you're viewing our situation at this particular time? Has this COVID-19 crisis turned you more 
inwards towards yourself? Or are you allowing God to turn your gaze upwards towards Him and outwards towards others? Well, as I finish, a final word about comfort. It comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. Heidelberg is a place in Germany. A catechism is a short summary of Christian beliefs. um, And this one comes from the 16th century. It goes like this, and I'll put it on the screen for you. What is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort in life and in death is that I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. It's great, isn't it? Our only comfort in life and in death. Let me pray, and then I'll give you a discussion question that you might want to spend some time talking about. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the one who has suffered, died, and rose again. Help us today to find ourselves in your story so that we can have not only a shared comfort from you, but also be able to share your comfort with each other. I pray for those who are especially struggling at this time. May your resurrection power through death come to them. That even as they feel like they are dying, they will know that it's already been shared by you. And just as they die with you, so also they will be raised with you. So raise them up, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's a discussion question. I'm going to put it down here. Have a look. It's also on the YouTube um, description. Have a think about this. Who is God encouraging to share your firstly struggles and your comfort with? Right? Right? With whom is God encouraging you to share firstly your struggles and then secondly your comfort with? Have a think about that. Have a discussion about that. And um, thank you for listening. And we'll see you again next week.